Hello, LA. What's happening? What's happening? Come on, let's go. Just me and then we got drinks. Come on. All right, how's everybody doing? My name is Ted Bunch. I'm the co-founder of a national organization called The Call to Men. A Call to Men, our mission is to create a world where all men and boys are loving and respectful and all women and girls are valued and safe. And so our work is, uh, we've been around about 15 years, a not-for-profit organization nationally. We have an office in New York and Charlotte. And uh, our work is to educate and train. We work with all with high schools. We have a beautiful high school curriculum called Live Respect that we wrote with Scholastic, which I'll talk a little bit about as we talk about our youth. We work with all professional leagues, NFL, NHL, NBA, Major League Soccer, Major League Baseball, hundreds of colleges, the military. Uh, wherever there's men and boys is where we go. It's from the barbershop to the boardroom, talking about healthy and respectful manhood. So our, our work is really around ending violence and discrimination against women and girls. And we do that believing that as we increase and promote a healthy and respectful manhood, we automatically decrease and prevent domestic violence, sexual assault, sexual harassment, bullying, homophobia, it all goes away. So um, with my time with you today, I just want to share a little bit about the importance of men in particular being part of the solution. We're at a critical time in our culture around looking at manhood, looking at men, looking at gender equality. And we're at a critical time, and we are the solution. But we have to also look at what got us here. How, why are we here? And I really want to talk about the silence that we have as men. Because the overwhelming majority of violence against women, discrimination, harassment against women and girls is men's violence. But the overwhelming majority of men are not violent, but we're silent about the violence other men perpetrate, and that's as much of the problem as the violence is. We're silent about the harassment other men perpetrate, and that's as much of the problem. You know, when we don't say, when we don't say the, that's not cool when he's telling the sexist joke at the water cooler, well, that's synonymous with giving him permission to. Right? We're good guys, want to do the right thing, but we've never had this conversation. And now we're at a point where we're really the first generation of men being held accountable for something men have always gotten away with. And it's overdue, it's time, right? And we're not here to save or rescue women because women don't need to be saved or rescued. Women are competent of taking care of themselves. And women in congregation said? Amen. Amen. Right? So it's really about men if we're not violent, safety takes care of itself. If we're not abusive, the world's a different place. So I want to first thank Mark Suster for the opportunity to have this conversation. Thank you, Mark. We can give it up for Mark for his vision and leadership. All right, so we're going to have this conversation around manhood. And women, I'm going to ask you for some help with this. I'm going to ask the guys too. And we're going to have fun. It's, it's not an indictment of manhood. It's an invitation to men to do things differently. Is that all right? And we're all learning. We're all growing from this. I'm learning from it too. Listen, any man, now I'm 56 years old, any man my age or younger or above me is looking back and saying, what did I say? What did I do? Including myself. Because there's no man, he does not exist, who has not either crossed the line or witnessed another man crossing the line and didn't say anything about it. And we'll push up against the line. You know, it speaks to our male privilege that even that when we talk about the line, who gets to determine that? Because our line is always around the physical thing, isn't it, men? Right? Where her line might have been way over here. Where, well, I didn't text him back right away, and he's tripping. He's over, you know, he's showing up at my house. He's doing all these things, right? Where our line might be the physical thing. So 
Do I have anybody with children here? All right, beautiful. Anyone with younger sisters, younger brothers? Okay. So I'm going to talk to you about why this is important, that just being good guys is not enough, that we actually have to use our influence and platform to have a positive impact. Being a good guy is not enough. We can't be silent about this thing anymore. So does anyone have a daughter around 10 years or younger? What is her name, sir? What's your daughter's name? Amelie. Amelie? Amelie. How old is she? Eight. Eight. Beautiful. Nice. All right. Thank you all for raising your hands, and God bless you and your children. I have a daughter also. I have three children. Let's talk about my daughter, Maya. She's the oldest. She's 27 years old. Now, Maya wanted to, in her last year of college, she wanted to live off campus. She wanted to live um, in the town of Charlottesville. She went to UVA. I live, we live on Long Island. It's about a six-hour drive. If, uh, if I need to get to Maya, if she needs me, right? Because she's not home anymore, man. I can't protect my daughter. She's six hours away. Can you imagine? I don't even like presenting it to you hypothetically. I get a little upset. I really do. But for the purposes of the conversation, I kind of have to. Imagine if Amalia, you hear that, right? I don't like thinking about it. She needed you. You're six hours away from her. Would that be a long six hours? Man, that'd be forever. Now, I live about 15 minutes from JFK. I wouldn't go get a flight. I'd get in the car and I would go. I don't have TSA pre-check. They're going to slow me down. I got to go, right? Get to my daughter. So Maya's in Charlottesville. She's a senior at UVA. She wants to live off campus. She asked me to come down and look at an apartment. Her mom and I go down and look at an apartment. We, we choose a nice place. She and the girls want to move in. I'm driving back to New York, and Maya calls me and says, Dad, will you bring me a pair of your old shoes or boots? And I'm going to ask the men in the audience, guys, why would she want a pair of my old shoes or boots? To put them outside the door. Why would she need them outside the door? To, make, to show that there's a man lives there. But why does she need to make sure there's a man there? So she'll feel safe, less at risk. Well, you think I got her the shoes? What do you think? Listen, I wear size 11. I wanted to buy 16, dip them in mud, put blood stains on the toe. They can't be big enough. Come on, man. They cannot be big enough. Of course. Right? So Maya doesn't feel safe in her 21, 22 years of age. She doesn't feel safe. Even though when we look at violence against women, whether it's sexual harassment in the workplace or whether it's in their communities, our communities, and I'm talking about all communities, from financially poor communities to affluent, commu affluent communities, the rates are not much different. Right? It might look a little different in the affluent communities. You know why? Because this man box we live in, this masculinity, this hyper-masculinity, when we have money, we get to work out that power thing in a different way, men of privilege. You take that money away, you're going to be beating some folks down because that's what this man box teaches us. So, she feels vulnerable. She doesn't feel safe. Even though she's never had an experience where a man's been abusive toward her, but she feels that way. Because we have this environment where violence against women is something where it, it's, we have a, it's accepted, it's tolerated, right? And wouldn't it be great when your daughter goes away to school or leaves for work that she doesn't put shoes outside of her door? That's this conversation. That's where we want, how do we get there? Because right now we deal with everything through intervention. Something has to happen. Someone has to be a victim, someone has to be an offender, someone has to, whether it's sexual harassment, you got to go to HR, whether it's domestic violence, police have to come, someone loses 
All of that, that's intervention. We respond after the fact. We want to go upstream to prevention where it never happens in the first place. That makes sense, folks? Okay, so that bridge from intervention to prevention is us, it's men. I look at our boys. We have this curriculum called Live Respect. And we surveyed 300 boys around the country, all different ethnicities, different socioeconomic backgrounds. And we asked them, do you know what consent is? 81% of the boys did not know what consent is. 81% of our high school boys, boys in your community and mine, do not know what consent is. High school. Well, doesn't that explain a lot? It explains sexual assault in the military. It explains sexual assault on college campuses. It explains why girls and women between 16 and 24 are at the highest risk. Because our boys think no means try harder because that's the messages we're giving them. We're passing that down to them. I'm not just talking about, by the way, it's about 15% of the men who do these things, 85% of us don't. I'm not just talking about the 15%. I'm talking about all of us give these messages. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. And by the way, with Maya in the shoes, you think she puts them outside the door 15% of the time? 100% of the time, because she never knows, right? So let's say there's three boys, young men in your community, good kids, they're at the mall or they're hanging out wherever you live, and three 17-year-old boys, let's make them 17 years old. Here they are. Because when we talk about the collective socialization of men, this is what we're talking about. How we pass it down from one generation to another. So any man here who's under 35, okay, great. So I accept the responsibility for any views you have about women, any ideas you have about manhood, because you learned them from men like me, men in your community like me, the good guys. I'm putting that in quotes, the good guys. So here's three 17-year-old boys. They're good kids, would never harm a young woman. Here comes another person, uh, she's 17, it's a woman, young, young woman, 17 years old, walks towards them. And as she gets closer, they get ready to say something to her. Would that happen in your community? What do you think? Yeah. Okay, so now she walks by, and two of the three boys say something to her. And it's usually something that maybe about what they might want to do to her, maybe an opinion about how she looks, something like that. They objectify her. And they turn around, and the third boy did not say anything, and they notice he didn't say anything. So men, what do those two boys say to him, do you think? What's wrong with you? So that tells us that there's an expectation that not only do you, objectify girls, you're expected to, and if you don't, you're falling short on this manhood that passed down to you. So they're expected to, and remember, I talked about that man box? Well, the glue that keeps that man box together is homophobia. It's actually like a duct tape, because it puts everybody in bondage, it really does, right? Because if he's falling short, we'll punish him by saying things like, you're not man enough, right? And gay men are men. But that's, the, that's how we, so it's a bonding experience, actually. It's a bonding experience between the boys, between the men, between us, at the expense of her. The same way it's a bonding experience when we uh, motivate boys and men by insulting women and girls. Right? Instead of saying, try harder, we say things like, don't be a little this or don't be a little that. Right? So when we have that six-year-old boy learning how to throw a football, and that good guy, that wonderful man says, son, you have to throw harder than that. You throw like a... How do you all know the answer to that? 
our socialization. Now, doesn't mean you believe it, but you know the answer, so you've been taught the same thing. So what is that six-year-old boy, and we've all done it. This is not an indictment, it's an invitation. We've all done it, I've done it too. What does that six-year-old boy take away from that? Do you think he leaves that situation feeling that women are equal to him or girls are equal to him or less? Less, of course he does. And we give these messages all the time. I've been doing this work for 25 years. I remember I have a 20-year-old boy, his name is Joshua. He's, uh, he's at NYU Stern School of Business. I'll talk to you about him in a little bit. So, and Joshua's a jock, sports. He played, he's the point guard for NYU now. He's a jock, long jumps for them. He's, he's a jock, right? So he grew, he grew up in this man box, right? So he's working with coaches who are saying all kinds of things like this. He's coming back home and I have to like tune him up. I gotta adjust this, I gotta alter that, I gotta change this, right? Cause he's coming back with all these different messages. But when we talk about, um, when we talk about our boys and raising our boys, we're giving them these messages. And those 17-year-old boys didn't make that up on their own because they learned it from my generation of men would have done something similar. My generation of men would have said something like, as you walk by, I'd like to hit that, hit violence, that object. If I go to any high school in your community and I ask your seniors in your high school, your boys, what would your language be? You know what they'd say to me? You just gotta watch some TV and listen to some music, you can hear it. They'd say, crush it. Beat it up, smash it, that's the language that they'd use. So we're taught to objectify our girls. We pass that down to our boys. If I have an 18-year-old boy going out on a date or taking a girl out to a movie, let's say, because they may not, my, my son says, we don't go out on dates, Dad, we're just hanging out, right? I said, well, we used to call that a date. You need to act like it's a date, and this is how you act appropriately in a date, right? So. Uh, when he takes her to a movie and his buddies know that he went and he gets back home, she goes home, he gets back home and they're on Instagram, Snapchat, Snapchat or whatever they're doing now social media wise, I can't keep up with it. Are his friends asking him, oh, did you like the movie? Do you like her? What are they asking him? What'd you get? She put out? That's the purpose. One of the ways we define ourselves as men, and this is why we're silent, is we distance ourselves from the experiences of women. That's one of the ways we define ourselves, except for one experience, which is what? Sex, right? Dads in the audience, when are our daughters supposed to have sex? Never. <laughs> Boy, they are quick. They are, they are so quick to say that. Watch this, though. When are our boys supposed to have sex? It gets quiet. <laughs> now, by the time he's a freshman in college, we're kind of like, well, well you, know, you know, you should probably, you know, right? What's going on? Right? So we can't have it both ways. We can't have it both ways. But we don't have so that, so our, our boys are not prepared. That's why sexual assault in the college and campus, they're not prepared because we don't take the time to have the conversation with them. We might say, wear a condom. But we're not talking about respect. We're not talking about consent at each level. We're not educating them, well, no, moans and groans actually don't mean a yes. Only yes means yes. We're not educating them, well, you know what reciprocity looks like? We're not talking about how do you communicate with her, right? With my son when he started dating, I had this conversation about you're not supposed to have sex until you're 18. It's an adult decision. That's when you make decisions. And now here's a condom, and I'm going to talk to you as if you are having sex because I'm in the real world too. 
So we have to have conversations with our boys. We don't do that. We're, we're very quick to have conversations with our girls and expectations with our girls, but we don't with our boys. And even if we sit down with our boys individually, they'll know what to say. But then when we get with another group of boys, and then they want to say, oh, I don't want to do that. And the boys will say all these things to make them feel less than a man based on this framework, this construct. And then the boy won't say anything. And now he's in front of the dean. He's being arrested. A girl's been sexually, sexually assaulted. And these boys are damaged for life. And she's certainly damaged for life. So we have a responsibility. OK, I'm going to play a quick video here, folks. Bear with me. This talks about the, the mission and work a little bit, and then I'll get right back to you. unwritten rules and agreements, unnegotiated deals and codes of silence that other men come to expect from us. This collectively defines many aspects of our manhood. I remember asking a 12-year-old boy, a football player, so how would you feel if your coach told you in front of all the other players that you're playing like a girl? I thought he would say I'd be mad, I'd be angry, I'd be sad, but no, the boy told me it would destroy me. I said, wow. If it would destroy him being told that he's playing like a girl, what are we as men teaching him about girls? If we continue to treat women and girls as if they are of less value, the property of men and sexual objects, we continue to maintain a culture that reinforces discrimination and abuse towards them. It is important to rethink and reshape how we as men have been taught to act and behave. We need to hold on to the many wonderful aspects of manhood and remove those things that hold us back. We need to stop laughing and begin challenging inappropriate comments made about women and girls. We need to educate ourselves, our sons, and other young men and boys. Our liberation as men is directly tied to the liberation of women. Let's be the solution. A call to men works with men and women to create a world where all men and all boys are loving and respectful and all women and girls are valued and safe. Help us create a new world by being part of the next generation of manhood. Okay, so we want to educate, empower, engage, and envision a world that's better than the one we have. I want to go back to those three boys for one second. Same three boys. Here comes another young woman. Who has a daughter around 17, 16? Okay, what is her name, sir? What is your last name, actually? Your last name? Salmon? Salmon. Sabbath. Salmon. OK. Here comes, there's three boys still out here. They're having a good time. Here comes another young woman. And, and they're getting ready to say something to her. But as she gets closer, they recognize, oh, wait a minute, that's Mr. Savin's daughter, or that's Mr. Bunch's daughter, or that's my big, my big brother's friend's little sister. Do they say the same thing to her? What do you think? Why not? Why not? Why not? Why don't they say the same thing to her? She's connected to a man. If she's connected to a man, she has value and respect. We're going to honor him. 
There's an accountability. If she's not, say what you want to say. Who's going to do anything about it? See, that's where we come in. Because Maya, see, they don't know me in Charlottesville. You come to our town of Rockville Center, Maya doesn't need no shoes outside the door. Trust me. <laughs> now, they might say, you look very nice, Maya. They're not going to say, I want to crush it. Not going to do it. I'm telling you. Right? Because there's an accountability. Right? So we have to make it so that wherever women go, women are valued by men. And we're treating women in a way that's respectful so they can always feel they don't feel threatened by us. So when we look at sexual harassment, the allegations increasingly, before, uh, increasingly become more a national conversation. What's that meant for you? I know we've all thought about that. And we have to think about this thing called manhood, the collective socialization of men. Right? And these are generalities, but it's what we've been taught as men. So if I ask you about making up manhood, making the ingredients of, man of manhood, what would you shout out to me? What is it to be a man? What's a real man? Strong. What else? Excuse me? Decisive. Tough. What else? Courageous. What else? Provider. Respect. All those are great qualities. Those are great qualities women have too, right? But that's what a real man is, right? right? Now, what's a good man? Honest. Caring. Loving. Gentle. I love that. We're all of those things. So being a provider, being a protector, all that's great. Not to, well, don't want to throw that away. But women can provide and protect also, right? Let's talk about protection for a minute. So... During my marriage, we were in the house for about 20 years. And I would be expected to protect the house. Let's say there was a sound at 2 o'clock in the morning, right? I would say, hey, honey, go check that out, honey. Right? Now, I was expected to do that. Now, I have a friend of mine whose wife was a mixed martial arts champ in her division. Let me tell you something. He'd be like, go have some fun. Let me know when you want me to call somebody. I mean, she was a badass. Right? But in our house, I was expected to do that. Now. We were in that house 20 years. We never got that sound. Colin, we don't even know if I could have done anything about it. <laughs> we don't know. I've never had to demonstrate it. I've never had to prove it. Now, my wife was a protector of our finances. When we started dating, okay, we need to save this amount of money for the wedding. Wedding comes, this is what we need for go to an apartment, to a house. This is where we need to invest, put this amount away for the, for the kids. We need to, okay, buy a house now, mortgage payment all the time. Our credit scores are here. It's like protection over our finances on a daily basis. Made more money than me. Thank God. <laughs> I got no problem with that. <laughs> no, I don't. Right? So, and managed it better than me. So what we'll do, though, because we elevate what men do as men because we're seeing it through sexist lenses, honestly, patriarchy and sexism, and that's what it drills down to, right? So we're seeing it through male entitlement and male privilege, so it's what, well, what a man does is here, and what a woman does is here. It's a good woman, takes care of the bills. That's good. That's good. You know, it's a good woman, right? <laughs> no, actually, her value, her protection to the family is much more valuable than mine, in that instance anyway, Right? So the man box, all these things make up manhood, right? So these are some things we teach our boys, and we as men carry on. 
No fear, no pain. Don't show weakness. To man up, right? What do we, at about what age do we tell our boys to stop crying? About what age? Two? Are you from Texas? <laughs> Are you from Texas? You from the South? South Pittsburgh, excuse me. <laughs> Two. All right, but by the time they go to elementary school, we're expecting them to shut it down, right? Now, when do we tell our girls to stop crying? Never. So men, I'm not saying run out and start crying, but what I am saying is that we live six years less than women dying from stress-related illnesses. There's a direct connection between that emotional stress that never gets released and we, get, and we bury, actually turns into, manifests into a physical stress as we get older and kills us. These rigid notions of manhood are killing us too, right? So as a result, we, and what do we tell our boys when we want them to stop crying? What are some things we say? Man up, what else? Stop being a baby, what else? Quit acting like a girl, right? I don't do this anymore, but what I used to say is, I don't understand you when you're crying. Where my daughter, cry, cry, cry. You okay, baby, you all right? Daddy's right here. Let it out, you got any more in there? Come on, you got some more in there. <laughs> right? Right, because we're trying to prepare him to live in this man box. We're trying to prepare them to be protected, to, be, uh, to not be picked on, all of those things, you know? Be tough. Be strong. Be aggressive. Now, aggression has its place. In the business world, aggression has its place. Times you have to be aggressive, right? Certainly in competition, sports, you have to be aggressive. Military, you have to be aggressive, right? So aggression has its place, not when, it's, when it comes to our personal life is a problem. So these are not bad things by themselves. Be in charge. So if men are in charge, women are not. Emotion except anger. That's the one we're allowed to express, right? That's the one we're allowed to express. But you know, do you think anger is a secondary emotion or a primary emotion? Secondary. It feels primary to men because we're so accustomed to bringing it up primary because when we brought up all that pain and sadness and hurt, we were told to man up, I don't understand you when you're crying, suck it up. So we continue to push that down and we develop the skill of bringing up the emotion of anger because that's what's acceptable. Because if I, let me see my friend here. Brother, I'm going to pick on you for a second. It's painless though, all right? All right, what's your name, man? Nasilo. Nasilo and I are friends. What happened yesterday, you hurt my feelings, you made me sad. What would you do with that if I said that to you, Nasilo? All right, good. Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, open arm and everything. That's great. He asked me what happened. He wants to know more. That's great. Do you think that the average guy would say that to another guy? Right. Because what would happen if he did? He'd be laughed at, right? So it's not safe for him to, but I could say, hey, man, I'm pissed, right? That's allowed. That's our translation for any emotion, right, is I'm pissed, right? Because that's, that's the one we can access and we're not punished for it. Oh, and also lust. I'd like to hit that. That's allowed too, right? Act like a man, no feelings, be athletic, be courageous, dominating, because we're not only supposed to, to, to we're not only supposed to play, we're supposed to what? Win. Be the protector, don't be soft, make your own decisions, don't be gay, and again, gay men are men, but this is a heterosexual man box. Remember the glue that keeps that man box together, or the duct tape, rather? Don't act like a woman. 
Women are the property of men. Women are sexual objects. That property of men thing. Do you know how many, do you know how many women are killed every day in the United States? Any idea by men? Three. We lose more women every day than we lose soldiers in the wars that we're in. And from those three women a day, 75% of them are murdered once she says, I'm leaving or has left. So what does that tell us about the mindset of those men? If I can't have you, nobody can have you. That's property and ownership. By the way, has domestic violence been seen as a private issue or a public issue historically? Has that privacy served men or women? Men, right? Property and ownership. All right, so we're told don't be soft or don't be a bee. I'm not going to put that up there, but that's what's said. Don't be vulnerable. Always be in control. Don't ask for help, right? Because asking for help is a sign of what? You all know the answer is very good. Don't be too nice because kindness can be seen as. Yes. Don't be too committed, right? So he's, all the guys are going out, and he says, no, I'm going to go home with my girlfriend and my wife. What are the guys saying? Come on, man. You, what else do they say? It starts with a W. Whipped. <laughs> Whipped. Right? Happiest guy out of the group. Right? But Whipped. Right? Come on, Jim, let's go to the bar. Jeez, man, Ted's always going home having fun and stuff. <laughs> don't be too loving. Okay, don't be too caring. All right, so the man box, you guys get it, right? You all get it, right? And even guys, I shouldn't say that, right? It's gendered, isn't it, the word guys? Like, we have to watch that, right? The gendered stuff we have to watch, you know, even in the workplace. Like, we're learning these things. We're learning in real time, right? But we're learning these things, you know, and... Uh, Ms. Slaughter brought up some wonderful points about that, you know, but we'll say things like that. It's not sexual harassment because it's not sex, but, but, but it's gender based, right? You know, a woman makes a point or uh, takes a stand and she leaves the room and we'll say, oh, you know, she's probably on her period or something, right? We devalue her, right? Things like that. Women with a group of men, they're all equal, they're peers, they're having a meeting looking to her to take notes. It's gendered, those things. And the LGBTQI, two-spirited individuals as well, it's gendered, right? Two-spirited, have you all heard of that term? Okay, so, the, so, it's, so it's, it, it's, this is, again, as people are coming, becoming more open and being able to be their authentic selves, we're learning more about language and who people are and what feels right to people. So two-spirited is something we learned recently. We had a national conference and we had this beautiful indigenous brother, um, share his experience, we would, have, we, we would um, probably consider him to be you know, a gay man. The, the term he uses is two-spirited, right? Beautiful term, I think, two-spirited. And it's specific to the indigenous community. So if I'm a gay man as an African-American, I can't use that term. It's, it's, it's a term that's for their community, right? So we're learning these things as we continue to learn more. Okay. so. We distance ourselves from the experiences of women and girls, and as a result, it creates a lack of interest, and we can't be our authentic selves. We need to do that, and that's what Ms. Slaughter was talking about too, that men may want to do other things. I, was, I had a job, um, I was a primary care provider for all of our kids, even though I worked, I had a lot of flexibility, I had a lot more flexibility than their mom, and I loved doing that because my father wasn't in my life, and I wanted to be the father that I never had. Right? Not no fault of his own, he had mental illness, it was better that he wasn't. But, so I wanted to heal the little boy in me 
as I'm also loving my kids. You know, there's a friend of mine, his name's Joe Ehrman, ex-football player. He coaches now in Baltimore. And he talks about this. He says, you know, I had a, soul, uh, I had a hole in my soul shaped like my dad. Oh, man, I almost fell over when he said that. I wanted to, he was, we were on a panel together, and I wanted to say, oh, oh, I got that. I got that. And you got that. And you got that. There's few of us who don't. So our goal is to not create holes in our children's soul shaped like us, right? That's my goal. So the collective socialization of manhood creates this, these three things. Less value, property, and objectification are the three things that is the common thread of our socialization. Whether we're here in the US or anywhere I've gone all over the world, it's the same. Where there's patriarchy, there's sexism. Where there's sexism, women are oppressed, and it looks like this. I did the same thing with men in South Africa. I didn't use football. I said soccer, a football. Six-year-old boy kicking a soccer ball, football. And you say, you got to kick hard on that. And I, and I pitched it out to them, and he's, they said, girl, same thing, right? So we have to take responsibility, men, of doing things differently, keeping all the wonderful things there are about manhood, but also looking at some things that we need to change. So we have to develop a voice, most important thing. And everyone here has a platform. Everyone here has a voice. We have to develop that voice, right? Talk to each other about it. Even going back and sharing with your, a friend or with someone in your community, another, another person in your community about what you've heard today, what resonated with you today, right? That's a good place to start. The need for men in particular to, to use their platform to speak out about these issues. So we want to listen to women and validate their experiences, challenge the harmful messages you've received about gender, right, about gender, so that there's openness and inclusivity, promote healthy, respectful manhood. We can do that by talking about healthy, respectful manhood with other men and boys. Don't conform to pressure to always be in control. Or ask, asking for help is not a sign of weakness. Be clear on why you care about these issues and what you want to do about it. So not just doing it to do it, but why do I care about it? What impact do I want to have? Identify the areas of your life where you can influence men and boys and our culture. And you all can do that, certainly. Right? So we want to create opportunities for action, speak out against all forms of violence and discrimination, whether it's gender, race. Uh, advocate for equal pay in your industry. I'm going to say that again. Advocate for equal pay in your industry. And the women in the congregation said, yeah. that's a little better. <laughs> Promote talented female and gender nonconforming leaders. Inclusion is important. Be intentional about who is in the room and whose voices are heard. And you can certainly support the work of a call to men. We're always looking for board members as well. I want to share in closing just that it's so important that as men, that we show uh, an openness and a vision and a leadership to be different, to challenge ourselves, right? We're good guys. I found that as we, as men know better, they want to do better, that we just haven't had these conversations. And we haven't had space for these conversations, right? So this is not an indictment on manhood in any way. It's just an invitation to men to do things differently. It's an invitation to us to understand that we do have a privilege here, male privilege, right? Right? As a black man, I have male privilege, right? 
right? It's not the same as a white man. There's, you know, intersectionality, right? Intersections, right? Re class, gender, race, um, ability, religion. There's all these intersectionalities. So as a black man, I don't have the same privilege. Uh, I have male privilege, but not in the same way that a white man has. He has white, he's race privilege and um, and gender privilege. But this privilege, this male privilege, gives us some common ground where we can work together and we can be better men as a result of it. You know? And that's what the vision is, really, is that men continue to do this work, become better men, and we believe that the world will get, become a better place as a result of that. So I want to thank you for your time and this opportunity to share with you.